Welcome to Wilshire today. I hope your day is off to as good a start as mine is. Uh, Puxatawney Phil has said spring is coming quickly. That's good news. And Loretta Brower delivered a chocolate pie to my porch this morning. It's hard to start a day better than that, isn't it? Before we get to the lesson, let me offer a, a word of thanks again to our wonderful team. Um, this past Friday, we celebrated the life of Laureen Zeller, and uh, several of you were able to be here, and thank you for that and supporting the family, and for Ruby and all of your crew, uh, Robert and Reggie and Laverne, and other people who I did not get a chance to see, but you ladies um, uh, do wonderful work. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, sorry, Robert, <laughs> and Reggie, I guess. Uh, you guys do <laughs> you guys do wonderful ministry, and it is a blessing to the families. I, I really appreciate how you serve like that. Well, a lot of times Jim and I begin a sermon by asking you to take out your Bible. It's sometimes a throwaway line just to get things rolling. But today, I really want you to take out a Bible and turn to Matthew 19. Because this is an extremely controversial topic and text, both for Jesus and for our days. Churches have split over these verses that we're going to look at this morning. Preachers have been fired for preaching their view of this text. Incidentally, I don't currently have plans to be gone next Sunday. But many preachers have been fired over this text. And at virtually any question and answer session I've attended for a lectureship or, or camp or anything like that where people ask questions, this text comes up 99% of the time, it seems. And this is an extremely personal text. My guess is this morning when Doug read the scripture, some of you felt a little uneasy or brought back memories of challenges you faced in your own life. Some of you this very morning are wrestling with the questions that Jesus is asked about in Matthew 19. Some of you have already experienced the pain of what Jesus talks about in Matthew 19. And some of us, myself included, have grown up in families where this topic has strained relationships. Everybody in this auditorium has some connection to the conversation that unfolds in Matthew 19. So when the Pharisees show up in this chapter and they ask Jesus, can a man put away his wife for any reason? All of us lean into the text with a vested interest at what Jesus has to say. But all of that also creates this challenge for us. Because when we see this question and this issue of divorce, we bring all of our experience, all of our pain, and all of our questions to the text. And we expect that this one short exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees is going to answer all of those questions that we have. And I just want to tell you this morning, it doesn't necessarily work that way. There are a lot of questions and a lot of challenges. And every story is uniquely challenging. 
And we must always be careful not to take this one exchange and make a blanket statement to every situation as if it addresses all of them. But with that said, I do think that Jesus' response does give us a few principles and a few teachings that apply no matter the circumstance. So, the Pharisees show up in Matthew 19. We haven't seen these guys for five chapters in Matthew. It's been five chapters, or three chapters, since the Pharisees last slithered onto the text to challenge Jesus, to confront Jesus in some way. And the last time we saw them, they were trying to stir up controversy. But a lot has happened since the Pharisees last appeared in the text. Since we last saw them, Peter has said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus has said, I'm going to build my church and I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to suffer and die and be raised again. Since we last saw the Pharisees, Jesus has taken his disciples up on the Mount of Transfiguration, showed them his glory and the the voice of God says, this is my son, listen to him. Since we last saw the Pharisees, Jesus has taught us that the kingdom of heaven is likened to a child. And that you do not cause a little one to stumble. That if someone wanders off, a good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. And if someone offends you, you go to them personally. And then you go to them with someone else. And then you take the church. And then you see them as people outside of the kingdom still in need of God's grace. And then Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive people? And Jesus says, seven times 70. All of that has unfolded since the Pharisees last appeared in the text. But now they show up again at an interesting moment. And they ask the question of questions. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? It's an odd question to ask here, isn't it? I mean, granted, the rabbis of Jesus' day were having their own conversation and had talked about this a lot. There's one school of thought that says a man can only put away his wife if she has committed some sort of sexual infidelity, some unchastity, uncleanliness of some sort. And others... Uh, rabbis have said, no, a man can only put away his wife if, if she did something before their marriage that he later finds out about. And there was a whole other school of thought that said a man can put away his wife if she burns the dinner. In fact, there was a school of thought that says a man can put away his wife if he thinks she's ugly now. And so it's kind of odd that the Pharisees show up at this moment in the story And of all the questions they could ask of Jesus, why do they pick this question? If they had been listening to Jesus, he's already answered their question. It's back there in chapter 5 and verse 32. Whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman that's been divorced commits adultery. They either didn't care about what he said back then... Or they have some other reason for asking this question now. 
and I have my suspicions. But Jesus says, let's go back to Genesis. You know what Genesis says? Genesis chapter 2, all the way back there. Jesus doesn't take the bait. They're asking him this very difficult, controversial question. And Jesus says, let's start at the beginning of our Bibles. And let's go to the story of Genesis. And do you remember what God says in the story of Genesis? For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. And whatever God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus says not a word about their divorce question. That an interesting response. Now, as I said earlier, this is not a simple topic. And I'm always leery of preachers who stand in front of churches and pound pulpits as if they have every answer to every challenge. There are some very difficult questions, brothers and sisters. But I want to show you what I think Jesus says are unquestionable truths in any situation. Before we do that, do you realize, according to um, a 2018 article in USA Today, the average wedding in America costs $25,000. That's the average amount of money people spend to get married nowadays. And they spend it in different ways on different things. The venue, the dress, the meal. $25,000. And weddings are, are interesting the way they take place nowadays. They're starting to take place in different areas. It used to be that everybody got married in a church building or a chapel of some sort. As if they that there is something religious about what happens today. But weddings are happening in other venues too, and that's perfectly okay. My favorite is a couple by the name of Dan and Bianca Reichart. They were the lucky winners of Taco Bell's Love and Taco Contest. And they received a Taco Bell wedding complete with sauce packet bouquet, sauce packet littered aisle, and Taco Bell catered reception and Taco Bell's flagship store in Las Vegas. I would be a single man if I suggested that today. (laughs) The last wedding I performed was in a barn. An incredibly fancy barn. Not the kind of barn they want you to bring a horse in. Now, there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting married outside of a church building. Danielle, Ethan is still your husband, and they got married in a barn. And that's okay. But do you remember there used to be a time when weddings took place in a church because there was this understanding that something spiritual is taking place. And most weddings used to conclude the preacher would say, the power invested in me by the state of Oklahoma, and as a preacher, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And then the man kisses the wife, the crowd applauds, and then the preacher would say, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. 
Remember the last time you ever heard that at a wedding? You don't hear it much anymore. When the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, can a man put away his wife for any reason? Jesus says, now wait a minute. You're asking the wrong question. You're asking about divorce, and I don't think you understand marriage to begin with. Because if you understand what God says about marriage, then the question of divorce disappears. And so Jesus reminds them of what God said about marriage. And again, I think there are three things that Jesus says, whatever the situation, whatever the heartache, these three truths remain. Truth number one, marriage is made by God. You see, in the Jewish system, which was a lot different than our system today, the average girl got married at between the age of 13 and 15. The average man was about 18 years old when he got married. And marriage wasn't this courting, dating, proposal, engagement. It was a business arrangement. The father's uh, the, the young man's father would meet with the young lady's father. They would work out some sort of dowry. They would work out some sort of payment. And then after about a year of engagement of sorts, the, the ceremony would consist of the young lady having this ceremonial bath and being led across to the young man's house. And then we would have about a week of feasting and, and celebration. And the Pharisees are under the idea that we decide when marriage happens, that we are the ones who tie people together. And Jesus says, you need to realize marriage is not determined by you. God joins them together. Now, I realize this is a secondary issue to the text, but it needs to be heard today. Our legal system, our courts, our legislatures cannot define what marriage is. God does that. Call it whatever you want, but Jesus says God is the one who decides what's marriage and what's not. And if you want to know what God decides marriage is, then ask yourself what God has said. And God says, For this reason shall man leave his mother and father and cleave to his Wife. That's not a political issue for Christians. God joins. God's the one that brings people together. And you see, because the Pharisees are wrapped up in their question and wrapped up in their debate, they've somehow thought that the religious leaders get to decide who's married and who's not married. And Jesus says, that ball is not in your court. God joins people together. And if they understood that principle, then the question of divorce becomes far secondary. But Jesus cites the Genesis story for another reason. Okay, fine, the Pharisees might say. We've read Genesis. We're okay with that. We agree with that. God's the one that makes marriage. But can a man put away his wife for any reason? That's what we're asking about. And Jesus says, did you not hear what he said? What God has joined together, let no man separate. Their question about divorce, Jesus says, is really about undoing something God does. Divorce is undoing 
God's doing. Now listen closely. Any divorce, for any reason, under any circumstance, always represents some sort of violation to God's creative intent. God means for marriage to last a lifetime. Any divorce, for any reason, under any circumstance, Jesus says, means that someone, somewhere, has violated God's intention for marriage. It was never God's intentions for marriages to fall apart. It was never God's intention for people to experience the loneliness and the guilt and the heartbreak that comes along with any divorce. And some of you have experienced that far too deeply. It is not God's intention for any marriage that He has joined to fall apart. But that's where the Pharisee's next question comes up. Okay, fine, Jesus, if God makes marriage and we're undoing what God has done, explain to us why Moses commanded that we give her a writing of divorce. Deuteronomy chapter 24, it's an interesting, somewhat of a strange text. If what you're saying is true, explain what Moses said. And this is a typical rabbinical way of arguing. You take one text of Scripture, and you take a second text of Scripture that seems to contradict, and you say, explain the contradiction. If Genesis chapter 2 says... God makes marriage, and God intends for marriage to last a lifetime, then how do you explain Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 24 saying, well, if you're going to divorce her, give her a writing of certificate, a certificate of divorcement. How do you reconcile that? And Jesus says, you've taken Moses' compromise and turned it into a command. And that was not God's intention. They ask, why did Moses command? And Jesus says, Moses allowed. And he allowed it because of the hardness of hearts. Now listen again. Any marriage, for any reason, under any circumstances, represents some sort of violation of God's creative intent for marriage. Every single divorce that happens means one party has had a hard heart somewhere. Because if both parties were seeking the will of God, then divorce wouldn't be on the table. But Jesus says God meant for marriage to last a lifetime. And Moses made that provision in Deuteronomy chapter 24 because someone had such a hard heart that they were willing to turn the woman out and put her out to where she had no protections and no one to provide. And in the Jewish system and in that culture, she had no way to live. And Moses said, if you're going to have such a hard heart, let's at least protect the woman. And let's at least give her a certificate of divorcement that in Jewish writings said she is free to marry whomever she chooses. So that later... It won't be the case that she gets married and someone says, she's my wife. 
No, she's not. You signed this letter. You wanted nothing to do with her. Go away. And Jesus said, God's intention is for marriage to last a a lifetime. But your hardness of heart gave Moses a reason to protect the other party. But every marriage is meant to last a lifetime. And every divorce under every circumstance is a violation of what God always intended a marriage to be. Whoever puts away his wife. No, Jesus says. You can't just wake up one day and decide, you know what? This spouse of mine is holding me back. You can't just wake up and decide, I want to be happy in life and they're standing in my way of happiness. Marriage is far more sacred than just to wake up and say, you know, we gave it a try, we're going to move on. God is the one who makes marriage. And any divorce is tampering with God's intention for marriage. Under all circumstances, at least one person has a hard heart. Jesus says there are some situations whoever puts away his wife except in the case of fornication and marries another commits adultery. Now that statement is interesting for a number of reasons. It's, it, people and scholars have argued what exactly does Jesus mean by fornication? Does he mean something that happened prior to marriage and that debate was happening? Does he mean If, while they're married, she is sexually unfaithful to him, which seems to be more of the tenor of the text. But the the other thing that's interesting, just as it's God who decides marriage, just because we decide we want out of a marriage, doesn't mean God says you're out of that marriage. Look at the text again. Whoever puts away his wife, he got a divorce, right? Yeah. If you put away your wife and you marry someone else, you're committing adultery. Well, wait a minute. I put her away. How could I possibly be committing adultery? Jesus says, you're not the one who decides when the marriage is over. Every marriage, for any situation that ends the marriage, someone somewhere is violating the will of God. And the only time divorce enters the picture, according to Jesus, is one party refusing to acknowledge God's desire. But that's where things get difficult. What happens when one party involved does not care about the creative intent of God? What happens when a God-loving disciple of Jesus finds themselves in a marriage where the other person does not seek or care about the will of God, then what? Please listen carefully. If you are in a relationship that is abusive and dangerous to you or your children, I do not believe that Jesus is calling you to stay in that at all costs. Jesus wants the will of God to be done... And it is not God's will that you 
be in danger. Just because we call it a divorce does not mean Jesus sees it as a divorce. But just because we stay in a marriage for the sake of marriage does not mean God's will is being carried out. Marriage for the sake of marriage, when one party is being neglected or abused, does not fulfill God's creative intent any more than divorce does. Jesus' number one concern and question, how do we live out the will of God? And think about the way divorce is treated today. He or she does not make me happy anymore. Jesus says, that's not God's question. I'd like to upgrade to a newer model. Jesus says, that's not God's standard. My marriage and my family are holding me back in my career. Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. Now again, brothers and sisters, I realize this raises a lot of questions. What about marriages that fall apart for other reasons? What about people who are not Christians before who make mistakes in their marriages and then come to Christ later? And I don't have good answers for all of those reasons. What I do know is that those questions are challenging and they must be wrestled with grace and forgiveness and with an utmost primary question of what is God's creative intent. And they must be wrestled in a way that seeks God's will above cultural convenience. Now, one of the things that's a blessing at Wilshire is that we have witnessed people who deeply believe that God made marriage for a lifetime. On Friday, we did the celebration of Lorene Zeller's life. She and Herman had been married 73 years before Herman's passing. David and Carol Zorn celebrated 66 years before Carol's passing. Back in September, Sam and Ethel McCarty celebrated 65 years. Lloyd and Esther Davis recently celebrated 59 years of marriage. Look around this room. It's not always easy. But God says, Jesus says, God's creative intent is for marriage to last a lifetime. It's God who forms a marriage. Don't take that lightly. Don't throw that away. Well, the disciples of Jesus realized just how significant what he was saying is. And so they say, well, if that's the teaching on marriage, who would want to take a chance? Who would want to get in a marriage if it's that challenging and that difficult? And that's where Jesus gives us something of the third truth. Marriage is not mandatory to the kingdom of God. Sometimes we're hard on people who are single. We talk as if their life isn't complete. And we treat them as if they're missing something. But Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19 is that some people choose not to marry. Some people are eunuchs by birth. Some people are eunuchs by by choice or by accident. But Jesus is saying... You're standing with God and you're 
impact in the kingdom of heaven is not dependent on marriage. So for anyone saying that my life is broken because I'm not married, or for some reason my marriage collapsed and I have to get married, Jesus says, no. You can be just as much a blessing in God's kingdom, even without a spouse. And we've seen that at Wilshire too. Alvin Bryan is 96 and has done remarkable things for the kingdom of God. Never married. And he's just as much a part of God's kingdom. Let me say this again. This is not an easy question. And I do not want to pretend to be the guy who has finally solved all the problems and answered the MDR questions, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But whatever the debates and whatever the questions, the conversation must begin with these truths. God makes marriage. And God intends marriage to last a lifetime. And when someone chooses not to fulfill the word of God or the desire of God, life gets more complicated. Now, really, to be honest with you, all of that is kind of secondary to what's going on in Matthew's story. I told you at the beginning that they show up, these Pharisees show up with their question about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And of all the questions they could have asked Jesus about, of all the things they want to bring to Jesus, why in the world choose this one? I mean, the rabbis of their day couldn't agree on this. Jesus had already answered it back in Matthew chapter 5. So why, after, after saying you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and why after the transfiguration, and, and why after the teaching of forgiveness, of all questions, why do they bring this one up now? Because they know that just four chapters earlier, when John the Baptist told Herod what he thought about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Herod killed him. When John the Baptist stood in front of Herod and said, it is not lawful to you, for you to have your brother's wife, that Herod took his head off. And so when Jesus enters this region, and you read Matthew 19, and Matthew shows you geographically that Jesus has now gone back into the region of Judea where Herod is in control. And when Jesus steps into that territory under that same leader, they want Jesus killed. And what's the best way to get Jesus killed? Ask him about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Because if Jesus comes out and he speaks against Herod, Herod's going to want his head on a plate too, and then we'll be done with Jesus. And I bring that up to remind you that as we bring our questions to this text of our own hurt and our own problems and our own questions, this text is not being addressed to people honestly seeking direction in these challenges. Jesus' answer in Matthew 19 is not being addressed to someone asking, what do I tell my sister who's trapped in an abusive marriage? Or 
what do I do because my wife has cheated on me and, and I don't know how to respond? Or, or a couple who came to Christ after having previous relationships. Jesus is not addressing those questions. He's addressing these cowards who's trying to get him killed and who's trying to do it under the cloak of religiosity and spirituality. And Jesus says, don't you drag your question of marriage and divorce in front of me as if you're seeking the will of God. If you were honestly seeking the will of God, you wouldn't be asking about divorce first. You would be asking what God intended marriage to be first. And what God intended it to be is that he makes it, he attends for it to last a lifetime, and it's not even mandatory in the kingdom. Go figure that out, and then we'll have a conversation about the divorce question. They want Jesus killed. These are not sincere questions of sincere disciples seeking direction. And I just think that's important to keep in our front pocket as we wrestle with those same questions today. At the bottom line of this conversation, Jesus wants to know, what is God's will? That's how he defined the kingdom all the way back in Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, pray, our Father who art in heaven, how holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to bring about the kingdom of God. Not in some philosophical or theoretical way, but in everyday practical ways. And Matthew wants you to know that the kingdom of God invades our homes and our marriage. And if there's one thing Matthew has made abundantly clear, it's that Jesus is king. This morning, I want to invite you into the kingdom of God where there is grace and there is forgiveness. Whatever mistakes of the past have been made, whatever hurts that you've experienced, whatever challenges you face going forward, in the kingdom of God there is grace and forgiveness. 